Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Continuing the Ode to Joy through the book of Philippians today. It's part four of our series, and we'll be tracking through Philippians chapter 2, verses 16 through 30. If you have one of these, go ahead and turn there. We'll also have it up on the screen and in the app with some great notes as well. So far, we've seen Paul encourage the Philippians and urge them to choose joy in the midst of their opposition, just like he has been doing. He thanks them for their partnership, and he lets them know that he regularly thinks of them and prays for them. He reminds them that God is still working on them and will continue that work and will complete that work all the way up until the day of Christ's return. Paul teaches the Philippians and us that while we can't control our circumstances, we can reframe them. Amen? He shows us the benefit of living for Christ as citizens of heaven. Last week, we unpacked the humility and mindset of Christ and how we are to have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. If we can do this, then we will be better prepared to shine brightly for Christ in this dark world. Now, I wanted to share one more thing on verse 15 before we get into the new material today. A couple nights ago, was reading a devotional with our eight-year-old Callie, and it was about lightning bugs or fireflies. And I was reminded of when I was a kid, and I would try to catch them in my hand. Raise your hand if you ever tried to catch lightning bugs. Yeah. We learned that there are over 2,000 species of lightning bug. Did you know that? I didn't know. Yeah. And each of them has their own, not just each species, but each lightning bug has their own unique pattern of flashing. Isn't that wild? That's how they communicate with one another. And it's only the male lightning bugs that do the flashing. It's so that they can impress and catch the attention of the lady lightning bugs. Isn't that cool? That's the way it should be. The man is meant to pursue the woman. Amen, ladies? There's something about things that light up the darkness that gets our attention, right? It makes you want to take a closer look. That's why we have to shine brightly for Christ. The light of Christ shining out of you will get people's attention, and it will cause them to want to take a closer look, not just at your life, but at the source, at Jesus, amen? So that was just a bonus, to last week's message, but for today, it's been said that the most powerful form of teaching is what is caught, not what is taught. Seeing how people live is more important and impressionable than hearing what people say. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul talks about humility. Humility is again our focus this morning. And let's remember, humility is the best foundation for unity, which leads to joy. Humility is considering others more significant than ourselves and taking an interest in the interests of others. Paul also gave us the ultimate example of humility, and that is Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but when we were unpacking Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 last week, and that's that we are to have the same attitude of Christ Jesus... Did anyone have the thought, like, that's almost unattainable? Just raise your hand. Just be, that's a pretty high bar, isn't it? 
it, Pastor Chris mentioned that that song, God is God and I am not, that came to mind as I think about trying to have the same attitude of Christ. Wouldn't it be nice if we could see what Christ-like humility in the life of regular people looks like, just ordinary Joes? This morning, we'll see two heroes that are worthy of honor and imitation. Now, typically, when you hear the word hero, you might think of your favorite DC or Marvel superhero. Perhaps you think of someone like Mother Teresa or an Olympic athlete or a soldier. Perhaps a song comes to mind. I can be your hero, baby. Or perhaps a little, there goes my hero. Watch him as he goes. Well, the heroes we're talking about this morning are Timothy and Epaphroditus. They risked what they could not keep to gain what they could not lose. These guys are heroes. Paul shows us what God-honoring humility looks like in the life of real people. Ordinary Joes, just like you and me, that became heroes of the faith. We're in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 16. Paul continues his letter to the Philippians. We'll actually start in verse 14. We don't have that on the screen, but just to set some context. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Verse 16, hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice and I will share your joy. If the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself. Like a son with his father, he has served with me in preaching the good news. I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what is going to happen to me here. And I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will come to see you soon. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He is a true brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. And he was your messenger to help me in my need. I am sending him because he has been longing to see you. And he was very distressed that you heard he was ill. And he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him and also on me so that I would not have one sorrow after another. So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know you will be glad to see him, and then I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him with Christian love and with great joy, and give him the honor that people like him deserve. For he risked his life for the work of Christ, and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift that your word is. We thank you for what you've been showing us from it these last few weeks. And Lord, we expect nothing less today. 
Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak through me today. Let it be easy to teach and let it be easy to hear and receive from your word today. Help us to walk and live in humility. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen and amen. Verse 16. We are to hold firmly to the word of life. Other versions say hold fast. The original text in Greek is closer to hold forth. So we are to have a tight grip on the word of life. We're to know it and to share it or show it. That's what the Greek means by show forth, hold forth. We are to present it. But we can't effectively present it if we don't know it, if we aren't holding tightly to it ourselves. In order to shine brightly for Christ, as we saw in verse 15, we must have the right attitude and the right action. The right attitude we saw in verse 14. No arguing, no complaining, living clean. The right action is holding fast, holding firm, holding forth the word of God. The word of life is God. The word of life is the gospel. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So we must remain faithful to God and to his life-changing good news. We must remain in him and hold on to the truth of his word. For how long? All the way until the day of Christ's return. Paul mentions this thought yet again in the same letter. He said that if the Philippians would hold on to, stay rooted in Christ and his word, that everything he had done, all his suffering would be worthwhile. Paul was saying that when he crossed the finish line, he wouldn't be a loser. It wouldn't have been in vain. Paul's consuming passion was not just loving people, but it was giving his life for the spiritual lives of other people. All of the efforts of his life were focused on presenting these people and these churches as mature in Christ on the day of Christ. Humility is gladly sacrificing my life for the spiritual good of others. That's challenging, isn't it? Thinking about the end game for someone else, not just yourself, is hard to do. It's not natural. It's like we need some super on our natural, right? But a humble person is not just thinking about the day he or she will stand before Christ and be judged, but his or her heart is longing to prepare others to be saved by Christ and rewarded on that great day. That should be the orientation of our lives as followers of Christ. Humility gives me genuine concern for the day others will stand before Christ. Verses 17 and 18, we see Paul again refer to something that he had already touched on earlier in this letter. He had referred to the possibility of death previously and he does it again here. Why? Caesar could have quite literally at any moment had Paul executed. That's it. End of story. So the subject was very raw, very fresh in Paul's mind, and it came up a lot. Probably came up a lot more in conversation than it made into this letter. And in this particular instance, Paul says that his death will have meaning if his efforts caused the Philippians to walk closely with God. Notice he speaks of rejoicing in death for the cause of Christ. He's not afraid of dying. Remember, believers, we have no reason to fear death. He's not afraid of death. He's not trying to escape it and, and avoid it at all costs. 
he references his life as a liquid offering or as a drink offering. This is neat because it was customary for both Jews and pagans to pour out a libation of wine at the base of an altar or onto a sacrifice, and it was honoring to deity. In some cultures and in a similar way, this still happens, right, where we show our honor and reverence for a friend or a relative that has passed away. Now, Paul's entire life was an offering to God. He daily poured himself out for Christ and the community and cause. Paul also points out how the Philippians and their faithful service is an offering to God. And anything done for God is never done in vain. I want you to hear that this morning. Anything that you do for God unto God is not in vain. Everything that you do for the glory of God is not wasted. Just make sure that the good you are doing is for the glory of God. Paul rejoices with the Philippians because he's seeing and hearing of spiritual fruit more and more evident in their lives. And he encourages them to rejoice about it. He makes it clear that he's rejoicing too, and he longs to rejoice with them together. Humility considers it a privilege to spend my life for the spiritual good of others. Now, Paul was not the only one letting his life be consumed or poured out. All of our lives are being consumed by something. All of our lives are being poured out for something. None of us live forever. The question is, what are you letting consume your life? How is your life being poured out? Who is your life being poured out for? What is your life being poured out for? Where is your time being spent? Are you living just for yourself and for today? Or are you thinking about others and how you can prepare them to stand before Christ on that great and final day? Every day we make sacrifices for our family or for our jobs or for our pleasures and things we want to do and a number of other things. What lasting value will come from the sacrifices that you are making? How is your life being poured out? How is it being spent? So that's a glimpse at Paul, a man whose humility was seen in the joyful sacrifice he made of his life for others. In verses 19 through 24, we see something different, something unique to Philippians, another thing unique to Philippians. Most ancient letters like this one had personal correspondence from people around the author at the end of the letter. This was the sign-off, the salutation, the travel log. This was typically, if not exclusively, at the end of a letter. A couple examples of that are the book of Romans and Colossians. But for some reason, Paul did it differently. He did these salutations, these sign-offs, these acknowledgments of who was with him and the, the plans for travel here in the middle of the letter. Those reading it, the Philippians, would have wondered why. Why did Paul switch things around here? Well, Paul thought he, he had a couple great examples to unpack what he was telling the Philippians. Paul uses himself, but then he shines the light on Timothy and Epaphroditus. They're examples of what it means to work out our salvation with humility and gratitude every day. If we miss this, we just breeze right through it just wondering, hmm, that's, that's different. 
But Paul's writing this letter acknowledging the perfect example of Jesus, and then it dawns on him, hey, there's two guys with me right here right now that are living this way too. So the subject matter changes. He shifts from exhortation and instruction to speaking about his two fellow workers, Timothy and Epaphroditus. These guys are two real-life examples of Christians who are on the right path. Real examples of humility in action. These guys exemplify everything that Paul has been talking about. And it just so happens that they're familiar to the people being written to. Timothy had been to Philippi with Paul. Epaphroditus was from Philippi. So let's see what we can notice about the life of these two characters. First, Timothy. A quick backstory. Timothy was a native of Derb and Lystra. These are two er, uh, towns in the area of Galatia. His mom's name was Lois, his grandmother Eunice, and they were Christians. His father was Greek. So Timothy was a bridge between these two cultures because he had a parent from both worlds. What a coincidence. Timothy would have been educated in Greek by his father in all that culture, but his mom homeschooled him in the Bible and in Jesus. Timothy became a Christian because of a strong and godly mom. And when Paul met Timothy in Acts chapter 16, Timothy was a young man already with a proven track record of being a great servant to the body of Christ. He liked helping people at church. And Paul was so impressed by him that he invited him to join him on his missionary journeys. Soon, Timothy became Paul's protege. Timothy must have had his act together, otherwise Paul would not have sent him to be his representative. Quite the responsibility to represent Paul in that time. Timothy was willing to be Paul's assistant and messenger boy, if you will. Although he was a capable spiritual leader himself, he willingly took a humble and subservient role in the ministry of Paul. And Timothy loved the body of Christ. Paul said that, quote, no one loved the Philippians like Timothy did. Paul said that he had no one else like Timothy. The Greek for this is no man like-minded or no one else who is heart and soul with me. Timothy's life stood out as one completely and sacrificially devoted to what matters to Jesus Christ and the people of Christ. We'll see that the relationship between Paul and Timothy was that like a father and son. This kind of serving as a son is how Timothy showed his worth or proved himself. Humility is honoring Jesus and serving people before caring about myself. In verses 19 through 24, we see that we should imitate other-oriented heroes. So let's break Timothy down a little bit further. As with everyone in the Bible and elsewhere, Timothy had flaws. With the exception of Jesus, we've all got flaws. Timothy was no different. He was not a perfect man. He was not a perfect pastor. Yet of all the men that Paul could choose to send to Philippi, Timothy made the ideal choice because he excelled in the very thing that the others lacked. Humble, other-oriented service. This character trait was revealed in the life of Timothy in three specific ways that make him worthy of imitation. First is verse 20. 
Timothy is genuinely concerned for the well-being of the Philippians. He truly cares. And the Greek word for concerned is a very strong verb. This is not just intellectual concern, but deeply emotional and physical. He was concerned for their welfare or their well-being. He wanted what was good and best for them. Well, as pastor, that does not mean that he always said and did what the Philippians wanted. Like every faithful shepherd, he did what was best for the sheep. Like any faithful pastor, he does what is best for the people. Like any faithful parent, you do what's best for your child. Amen? So because, he, because of this, he cared about the Philippians' well-being well above his own popularity. Humility is genuine concern for the needs of others. Second, we see in verse 21 that Timothy, quote, cares for what matters to Jesus Christ. He seeks to advance the interests of Jesus and his kingdom. He does not have his own agenda led by fear and insecurity and the desire to be appreciated. He's motivated by his love for Jesus and advancing his kingdom promoting the cause of Christ and preaching the word of Christ and counseling the people of Christ. He was not held in bondage to some of the things we talked about last week, selfishness and self-obsession. For Timothy, it was okay if he was forgotten. He was okay with being overlooked. Timothy was okay if his name was not in lights or on a book. Timothy was the kind of guy to write a beautiful letter that points people to Jesus, kind of like the book of Hebrews, and then like the author of Hebrews, not sign his name to it. We still don't know for sure who wrote Hebrews. Maybe it was Paul, maybe it was Timothy, maybe it was somebody else. But the point is, he wasn't about making his name great. He was about making the name of Jesus great. His passion was that Jesus be honored above all. Humility is being more focused on what pleases Jesus than what pleases me. Third, the Philippians should imitate Timothy, and so should we, because in verse 22, we see he's of proven worth. The Apostle Paul says, as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel, served with me in the gospel. Now, for some, the idea of a father and son business and working together may not sound appealing. Sometimes fathers and sons have different ideas about how a business should be run. It can lead to some strong family conflict when the dad and the son don't see things eye to eye. But this is where it gets interesting. In the Greek, there are different words for son. One is a general term for son that can refer to an adult age son. Another Greek word is referring to a younger son. And that's the word used for son in this verse. Timothy worked with Paul, having all the excitement of a young boy joining his father for a day at work. If you're a parent and you've brought a kid to work with you before, raise your hand. Maybe you can remember how exciting that was to them, how annoying it was for you, perhaps. I remember as a kid going with my dad to bring your kid to work day, and I thought it was so cool to see what my dad did. And then I wandered off and found the 
office kitchen and a tin of Famous Amos cookies, and I just went to town. So it was a good day. I remember bringing our two oldest daughters to the church office with me. And I remember how eager they were to learn what I did and help me with what I was doing. They wanted to please me. They wanted to learn. They wanted to help. When I try and do something on my car, Callie likes to try and help me. There's not much she can do, but she wants to learn and be helpful. And she may know just as much as I do about cars, to be honest. Maybe you haven't had that experience of bring your kid to work day, but perhaps you've seen the movie Elf. Do you remember when Buddy the Elf went to work with his dad, Walter? He wants to please his dad so much that he trades in the tights for a suit. He drinks disgusting coffee. The phone rings, and in an effort to help dad, Buddy the Elf, what's your favorite color? He even goes to the dark, scary, smelly mail room because he wanted to make his dad happy. I think that's what Timothy's attitude was around Paul. I'm so happy to be with my dad. It's such a privilege to be with dad. I just want to make my dad proud. I want to learn from dad. That's how we should live with our heavenly father. Amen? So Paul has been like a father to Timothy. And Timothy has not resented it. He's not pushed back against that authority. He's welcomed it. Many young people today are too proud to submit to leadership, to work with others, to defer with grace and humility. Timothy did this really well, and I think we need to take note. Timothy has been tested often, and he consistently remains faithful to the gospel. He's proven himself. So to summarize, Timothy's faith is worth imitating because, number one, he's not concerned with his own welfare, but that of the church he serves. Number two, he does not push his own agenda, but Christ's. And number three, he serves not his own desires, but the gospel under Paul's fatherly leadership. In the 1990s, the popular rage was WWJD bracelets. That meant we were always to ask ourselves, what would Jesus do in every situation and then follow his footsteps? Raise your hand if you had a Wujita, a WWJD bracelet. I did. I still do. I actually just ordered it on Amazon. They're still around. I have a few extras. I thought perhaps someone might like a WWJD bracelet this morning. Anybody? Anybody? You get a bracelet. You get a bracelet. You. That, I was praying for you, Antoinette. <sighs> Timothy didn't have a WWJD bracelet. I think Timothy may have had a WWPD bracelet. Timothy consistently asked himself, what would Paul do? Paul became Timothy's hero. He wanted to live like Paul and be like Paul. He wasn't interested in modeling his life after his peers. He found this older, mature, godly man to model his life after. Humility is modeling my life after someone that is spiritually mature instead of my peers. We all need to hear that, but teenagers, humility is modeling your life after someone more spiritually mature, not your peers. 
just how much had Timothy cloned Paul's character in life? Well, when Paul said that he had no one else like Timothy, the word like in the Greek is rich in meaning. It means to be of one soul or one mind. This is very similar to verse 2, where we are to work together with one mind and one purpose. Timothy was the only one Paul had who thought like him and acted like him. While most young people try to be different from the older generation, Timothy was trying to learn from the older generation and be like his spiritual hero from the older generation. That is humility. It's considering others better than yourself. It's recognizing that you don't know everything, you need direction, and there's still much to learn. It reminds me of a message Pastor Chris has preached on staying fat, faithful, available, and teachable. We've got to stay teachable. Look how Paul described Timothy, not to the Philippians, but to the Colossians, in, in first, uh, to the Corinthians, rather. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17 says, I urge you then, be imitators of me. That's why I'm here before you. No, that's not what it says. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy. Think about that. Imitate me. That's why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Paul told the Corinthians to imitate his life of following Christ and to show them what that looked like, he sent Timothy who was just like him. This is quite the compliment from Paul. Paul was telling the Philippians the same thing in this letter. Timothy was a hero. So I'll ask you this morning, who is your model? Who's your Paul? Do you have an older, more spiritually mature person that you want to learn from? Do you have someone that you admire in the faith? Someone that you see like, man, I want to be like them when I grow up. When I get to that stage of life, I want to look like that. I want to have a marriage like that. I want my adult children to be following God like theirs are. We need to find more spiritually mature men and women to learn from. That's humility and that's discipleship. You remember, remember we all need three types of relationships in our lives. We need someone more mature than us that can pull us up. We need those that are on our level that we can pull along and be pulled along by. And we need those that are less mature than us that we can help pull up. This is humility. This is disciple making in the life of Timothy. Verses 25 through 28. Let's take a look at Epaphroditus. A quick backstory for him. We already know he's the mailman. He came to bring some money to Paul. His name, Epaphroditus, was actually a common name. It meant favorite of Aphrodite. Aphrodite was the Greek goddess of love and beauty. This means that he had a pagan background before coming to Christ. His is the story of a life transformed. He was not an apostle like Paul. He was not a hand-picked successor of an apostle like Timothy. He was not an elder in the church. He was an ordinary guy, likely very active in his home church, the church of Philippi. And we don't see him in any other books of the Bible. So let's look closely. 
excuse me, it's fair to assume that Epaphroditus was a godly man. The Philippians wouldn't have sent him to assist Paul if he was a train wreck, right? You're not going to send a hot mess to go help the apostle, right? It's also fair to assume that he's a trustworthy man. He traveled with a lot of money, and he didn't just go on vacation. He actually brought it to Paul. Paul may have not written a thank you letter to the Philippians if Epaphroditus and the financial assistance had never shown up. Epaphroditus was a courageous man. He knew what he was walking into. Remember, the Roman government could have executed Paul at any time, and it's reasonable to assume that they might also execute or imprison whoever was with Paul at the time. That would include Epaphroditus. By coming to help him and staying with him and being so closely associated with him, he was putting his life on the line. He was a man of humility. He put his life and work on hold in Philippi in order to go travel, remember, 800 miles, about a month, in order to visit Paul. And he was willing to serve in whatever capacity was necessary. One of the ways he's described as a fellow soldier, this implies enduring struggle and opposition and difficulty and danger while doing the work of Christ. And as a result, we see that he got very sick and almost lost his life. In verse 26, it says he was very distressed. And this is an extremely strong word in the Greek. The only other place we see it in scripture is in relation to the anguish that the Lord experienced in the garden of Gethsemane. He was torn up. His family in Philippi meant everything to him. And while he might have preferred to stay with Paul and continue to help and support him, he was returning back to Philippi because he knew his friends and family were worried about him and his health. Paul thought that Epaphroditus had a personality that reflected Christ. He knew the Philippians would be anxious to receive him again. That wouldn't be the case if he was an argumentative complainer like we see in verse 14. And the Philippians were instructed that when he got home to receive him, welcome him with love, joy, and honor. Another version says to welcome him in the Lord. Verses 25 through 28 show us that we should imitate life-risking heroes like Epaphroditus. Let's look a little closer. He served above and beyond the call of duty, making him worthy of honor and imitation. Three traits found in verse 25 are especially significant. First, he is a brother. Not a friend, but a brother. Not an acquaintance, but a brother. In Bible times, believers became family, not just members of an organization. Sure, they still had their differences, but they overlooked them for the sake of Jesus. We don't think this way enough, church. We're not just members of Destiny Church. You're my brother, Brian. You're my sister, Abby. You remember that old Russ Taft song? You're my brother, you're my sister, so take me by the hand. Together we will work until he comes. There's no foe that can defeat us if we're walking side by side. Koinonia, laboring together. As long as there is love, we will stand. So Paul's brother in Christ, Epaphroditus, does not serve like an employee, clocking in, merely doing his job, but not really caring about the outcome, clocking out, 
This was not a job for him. This was family. And he drew close to Paul. He wanted to comfort him and cheer him and serve him however he could. Paul loved and cared for Epaphroditus like a brother. Second, he's described as a co-worker or a fellow worker. See, he wasn't just a good Christian. He was a good Christian worker. There's a difference. Epaphroditus was a man who labored hard for the work of the ministry. He was down in the trenches fighting for the gospel with Paul. Church, we need to get in the trenches. We need to fight for the gospel. We need to go where the fish are. We need to intentionally make friends with those that don't know the Lord and learn what's troubling them and share the truth with them. That's what Epaphroditus did. He worked with Paul to advance the gospel. The third way he's described is as a fellow soldier. There's interesting background to that term, fellow soldier in Greek. It was a title of honor. It was usually used by a higher ranking officer in the military to compliment and elevate Compliment and elevate a lower-ranking officer by considering him his equal. This is profound. That's what Paul did for Epaphroditus. He said Epaphroditus was far more than just an errand boy. He was an honored soldier willing to do battle on the front lines of Rome. I love seeing how Paul shows humility by building up this ordinary man, putting him on his same level. Epaphroditus was a hero. Humility is risking my life for the sake of the gospel and the needs of others. Epaphroditus was willing to risk his life for Christ, not for fame and fortune, but in humility, considering others above himself. So, Paul writes in verses 29 and 30, Receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me or doing what you couldn't do from where you were. How can we receive someone with all joy? We can only do so in the Lord. What does that mean? Our joy is limited, right? It has an ebb and flow, but the joy of the Lord is never limited. It is always, always full. Paul is telling the Philippians to receive Epaphroditus as the Lord himself would, with open arms and an open heart. Next, we see honor. What does it mean to honor one another? Well, I'll tell you what it's not. It's not flattery. Flattery is when I say something nice to you about you, hoping that you'll say something nice to me about me. Pastor Jacob and I have joked about this before. Flattery is actually self-serving. You're not thinking about the other person at all. Honoring is Christ-focused. We should honor one another. To honor someone, it's more than recognizing their efforts, as honorable as their efforts may be. Honoring someone is looking at the work of the Holy Spirit in that person. Honoring the Lord for what he's doing in and through that person. Finally, Paul said that Epaphroditus did for him what the Philippians couldn't do from far away. I want you to think about where you are and what you can do. And go a little further. Think about 
the setting that you are in, and what can only you do in that setting? Where has God placed you? Working with whom and doing what? Epaphroditus did what he could do where he was. The Philippians did what they could do from where they were. What can you do for the Lord where he has placed you? What's he given you to work with? So even though Epaphroditus was extremely valuable to Paul as a brother, as a co-worker, as a fellow soldier, he was not reluctant at all to send him back to the Philippians. He was excited to send him back because he considered the worries of the Philippians more important than his own needs. Epaphroditus also considered the concern of the Philippians as more important than his needs and being on the front lines in Rome. The Philippians clearly considered Paul's needs as more important than their own to send Epaphroditus and a large sum of money to his aid in the first place. We see practical humility, considering the needs of others before our own all over this passage. Church, what if our body was full of people that regularly practiced humility and considered the needs of others first? What if Destiny Church was like the church of Philippi? Hmm. This morning we see three examples of what humility looks like in real life. Paul, who in humility was willing to gladly lose his life so other people would have spiritual life. Timothy, who in humility served Jesus by serving others. And Paul. Epaphroditus, who in humility was willing to risk his life to put the needs of other people in front of his own. How can we stay in a place of other-centeredness? How can we have the capacity to care deeply for one another when it so often feels as if no one cares as deeply for us? How do we walk and live in humility? Here's how. Fix your eyes on Jesus. It's so simple, but it's so hard. Fix your eyes on Jesus, church. Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus were great heroes of the faith, but they're nothing compared to Jesus. Jesus didn't risk his life. In humility and obedience, he gave it up to forgive your sins, to give you the kingdom and his righteousness and his very life. Look to Jesus. Keep looking to Jesus. And then look to Jesus some more. Would you stand? This week, it's our turn, church. We've got next. We need to humbly work out our salvation by putting others in front of ourselves and looking out for their needs, not just our own. And we need to do that with a heart of gratitude, not a heart of grumbling. So as we think about the life of Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus and most of all Jesus, how will we humbly and gratefully work out our salvation in the world this week? Jesus, help us. Help us to choose humility. We need it so much more than we recognize. Help us to consider others 
above ourselves. Help us to be interested in the interests of others. Help us to pour ourselves out for the spiritual good of others. Help us to take our cues from these heroes of the faith. Help us to find a more godly man or woman that we can be in relationship with and and learn from. And then equip us to do the same with someone else less mature than us. We humbly ask this in Jesus' name, the strong Son of God. In Jesus' name.